We're going to continue on this morning uh, as it was read in Revelation chapter 7. The good part is you should already be there. Revelation chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 1 to 8 this morning. I don't know about you when it comes to the book of Revelation, but as we read our Bibles and we read through the various things that we're reading, Sometimes it's hard for us really to wrap our head around the events that we read of in the book of Revelation. But let me say this, how many of you have a hard time wrapping your head around the events that took place when God sent his judgments against the Pharaoh in Egypt? And how many of you just in general have at times found yourself lacking the faith to believe these things. But if you believe in the Word of God, and if you believe the things that were written in a way that is literal, and i that's the way I read my Bible, then the things that are coming down upon this world are things that, one, we should be readying ourselves for. But we should also be want to know these things so that we can communicate these things with others. It's really part of that good news. Jesus Christ is coming back. And we're going to go to be with Him. And so I hope that your hearts are stirred as we continue this journey through the book of Revelation. I titled this morning's message, The 144,000 Servants sealed to evangelize. Two weeks ago, we covered the sixth chapter of Revelation. We looked at really only six of the seven seals, the first set of judgments that are going to come down upon this world. The first seal that we read about was the white horse of deception that rides out, and I believe it's the Antichrist who is upon this horse, who comes forth conquering to conquer. He comes forth with great deception that he's going to bring upon this world. The second seal follows with the red horse coming forth to take peace from the earth. Death and war follow this horseman. And then the third seal, the black horse, comes riding forth with a pair of scales in his hands. And John hears a voice crying out from the midst of the four living creatures saying, a cord of wheat for a denarius. And this world at that time is going to experience unprecedented famine. Then the fourth seal is opened. And we read that a pale or a green horse and its rider that comes forth was death and Hades, we're told, followed with him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth. Wrap your head around this. A fourth of the population of this earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. Possibly because of the scarcity of food during this time. And after these four horsemen are released, 
we see the fifth seal opened. And John sees under the altar the souls of those who had been slain or martyred for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This could possibly be maybe all of the Old Testament martyrs, but it for sure is the tribulation martyrs, those who come to know Christ during the tribulation period who are, many of them are going to have to give their life, <clears throat> excuse me, for Christ because of their new faith in Christ. With the opening of the sixth seal, we read that all of the cosmic disturbances that are going to come upon this earth. It starts with a great earthquake, we're told. The sun will then be blackened like sackcloth of hair, and the moon will become like blood. The stars of heaven will fall to the earth like figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. John sees the sky receding as a scroll when it's rolled up. And then we're told in every mountain and island will be moved out of its place. Wow. That's six seals. That's the first set of three sets of judgments that we're going to see in the book of Revelation. When we read in that sixth chapter that the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, and every slave and every free man will hide themselves. Get that picture. As all of these things are coming down upon this earth, you have all of these people hiding themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they're crying out for the mountains and the rocks to fall upon them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You would think that they'd be running towards God in repentance. But you see, when the Spirit of God stops drawing the heart of a person, there is no repentance. There is no hope of repentance because it requires the Spirit of God to draw them. But here we see them calling for the rocks to fall upon them and hide them from the face. This is the point at which this world is going to realize that what's coming down on this earth is directly coming from God. For many, this is going to be a time of great fear. There's going to be pain. There's going to be anger, despair, no hope, and not even, even a will to live. The willingness to repent and to turn to God for many has already been lost. And by the way, we're still in the first half of the tribulation period. In chapter 6, verse 17, it ends with a terrifying question. 
For the great day of his wrath has come. And who will be able to stand? By the middle of the tribulation period, listen to what this world has already witnessed so far. Seven years of tribulation are going to come upon this earth. By the middle of the tribulation, and at the beginning of the tribulation, we're going to, this world's going to experience a major upset. It's going to be the rapture of the church. It's going to be the, the church, those who know Jesus Christ, that are going to be removed in the moment, the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those of us that are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air. The rapture of the church is going to create chaos upon this earth. The world conditions during the first half are going to be mass chaos, deception, wars and rumors of wars, famine and pestilence. And that's in the plural. We've just had one pestilence that we're still working through. It's called COVID. And wait until all of these other things begin to be unleashed during that time. Pestilence, a great earthquake, cosmic disturbances to the sun, the moon, and the stars, death, fearful sights, great signs from heaven, civil unrest, people going into the survivalist mode. I think these are going to be the days that the preppers have been waiting for. They're geared up. They're ready for this time, or so they think. I believe, as I shared last week, that this invasion of Gog and Magog that we read in the book of Ezekiel and these other nations, these other Muslim nations that are listed there will probably come down in the first half of the tribulation period. In Daniel's dream, in chapter 2 of, of Daniel, we read about four major empires that this world has seen. This image that Daniel saw started with the head of gold, the Babylonian Empire. And then it was the Medo-Persian Empire. The Grecian Empire followed that. And the fourth was the Roman Empire, which by the way was never taken over by another empire, but it actually was corrupted and it dissolved from within by the year 1453 A.D. Daniel, though, in this dream, in this image that he saw, he saw that this image had these ten toes at its feet. And the great image that Daniel saw was speaking about this Roman Empire that was going to be revived during the last days. That has not happened yet. But I believe that under the leading of the Antichrist, it will come to full fruition by the middle 
of the tribulation period. The Antichrist with the false prophet during this time is also going to set up their headquarters, if I could put it that way, in the land of Israel. They're going to bring their armies there under this ten-nation confederacy, this revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist being a main figure and leader. He's going to come into the land of Israel and set up his headquarters there. We're going to see as we go through that by the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is then going to demand that the Jews that live there in Israel, the ones that have now been able to rebuild their temple, that tribulation temple being rebuilt there in Jerusalem, he's going to demand that these Jews worship him. He's going to place his image within the temple and demand that he be worshipped as God. We already read in Daniel in a past study in Daniel 9.27 then the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's seven years by the way. One week in Daniel's prophecy is seven year period. It's how we get the seven year tribulation period. But in the middle of the week it goes on to say the middle of the week is at the three and a half year point he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and the offering. When this Antichrist sets up his image in the temple, it's very clear that this is a marker. This is a point during the tribulation period. We read about it in Daniel 27, verse 27. In Daniel 11, 31. In Daniel 12, 11. In Matthew 24, 15. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, all of them speak of the Antichrist demanding and setting his image up in that temple in the middle of the tribulation period. He's going to demand that he be worshipped at that point as God. The Jews are going to realize they have been deceived. Remember what the first thing that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, the first thing that he said and warned them of is deception. Beware the deception that is going to come upon you. When we get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 5, we read that the Antichrist was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. How long is that? Three and a half years. So here's the Antichrist being given the authority. Who's in control of all of this? Whether it's the Antichrist or the armies of this earth, it's God who is in control of all of these things. The Jews will then know that they've been deceived. They're going to flee from the wrath of the Antichrist and his army. 
They're going to flee into the wilderness, into the area of Edom, to the area where is known as Basra or Petra, which is that place, I believe, where they are going to flee to, where God is going to protect a remnant of Israel for that last three and a half years of the tribulation period. Looking ahead to Revelation chapter 12, verse 13, we read, Now when the dragon, a name for Satan, saw that he had been cast to the earth, at some point he's going to be cast out of heaven, we're told that he persecuted the woman. Now the woman is a type and a typology of Israel here. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Who is that? The male child being Jesus. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished and listen to what it says for a time and times and a half time. That's a way of saying for three and a half years from the presence of the serpent They will be hidden in this place and protected in the second half of the tribulation. You can read about that also in Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 12. This is an event. Keep in mind that we looked at Ezekiel last week. We talked about the promises and the covenants that God made with the nation of Israel concerning the land that Israel is the central figure throughout the seven-year tribulation period, that God has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel. And the one thing that God is going to do is He's going to fulfill what He said He will do. I'm going to save a remnant of my people Israel. Not because they're faithful, not because they've been uh, obedient to me or believing even in me, but because I'm faithful and I'm going to save a remnant of my people whom I love. That's just the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. We still have the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments to come. We already have looked at Matthew 24. I've taken you back there quite a few times. Because I believe that Matthew chapter 24 spans, in really chronological order, the seven-year tribulation period and the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 24, 14, we read, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations And then the end will come. You see, God has a plan of redemption. It's not just going to stop at the rapture of the church. God has a plan to redeem and to save many and a multitude of people during the tribulation period, both Jew and Gentile. Remember last week in Ezekiel, We saw that the fulfillment of God's promises was that God was going to restore the land of Israel. He was going to bring back to life the dry bones 
of God's people, which is Israel. The promises, the covenants that God made with Israel, God will fulfill. And why will he do this? I shared this last week, that both Jew and Gentile, both, will know that I am the Lord, that I'm the one who spoke it, and I will perform it, says the Lord. You see, God magnifies his, his name by these incredible works that he does to bring Israel back into a restored land, to actually bring, after 1,800 years, to bring this people group, the nation of Israel, to be declared a nation and once again in 1948. This was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in our lifetime, church. These are something that we have seen. We read in Ezekiel 39, verse 6, that Magog and those who live in the security of the coastlands, they shall know that I am the Lord. In Ezekiel 39, verse 7, it says that the nations, and whenever you see the word nations, it's speaking of Gentile nations outside of Israel, the nations shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. In uh, Ezekiel 39, 22, the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. You see, God is going to magnify His name. He's going to show this world who He is. They won't be able to deny it. They will know that the one who said he's going to do this is doing it. That leads us into chapter 7 this morning, where it appears that there is a pause. There's a pause in the progression of these sealed judgments. It's almost like God hits the pause button and he does it to inject, we might say, some hope. Can you imagine, by this time, and by the middle of the tribulation period, the hope that's been lost, the things that have already come down upon this earth? Chapter 7, it moves from God's divine judgments in chapter 6, to the people that God desires to save in chapter 7. We have an incredible God. We sang about an incredible God in our worship this morning. His love for mankind is far beyond what we could ever grasp or wrap our head around. We just said, He loved me. He saved me. He saved you. He's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. And He desires still, even as He is pouring out these judgments upon a Christ-rejecting world against His own people Israel who rejected Him, He's showing mercy and grace. It may be 
that this pause is the answer to the obvious question in Revelation 16, 17. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Or who is able to survive would be another way we could put it. It's asking a question. That question gets answered in chapter 7, verse 9. John says, I looked. He's seen something with his physical eyes. I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number was standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, there's going to be millions of both Jews and Gentiles that are going to be saved during the tribulation period. Some are going to survive the judgments, the world conditions, some of them are going to survive it. Many won't. Many are going to be killed. Many are going to be martyred for their testimony of Jesus Christ. They're going to get saved during the tribulation period. And many will have to be martyred. When they refuse that mark, when they refuse to worship, they're going to be killed for their new faith that they have in Christ. Keep in mind that chapter 7 is still in the flow of these seven seals that are being opened. It's not that these uh, chapter 7 is really in a chronological order to chapters, chapter 6. Because as you read the book of Revelation, 22 chapters of it, you can't read the book of Revelation, all of it. Some of it is in chronological order. I think we could see chrono chronology from really from chapter 1 to chapter 5. We can see it in a chronological order. But when we get into chapter 7 here, it's really is seen by many as a parenthetical insert. And what do I mean by that? It's when you inject information into what is transpiring. So all of what I've already explained about the judgments and everything, chapter 7 is this parenthetical insert that is going to bring out some other details that are important to know. What's important for us to know? That in the first half and all the way really through the tribulation period, we have a God that wants to save. We have a God that wants to save both Jew and Greek during this time. We saw in chapter 6, verse 9, at the opening of the fifth seal, 
the cry of the martyrs that were under the altar. John sees them under the altar. These are they that have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony in which they held. These are tribulation martyrs that John has seen. Look at chapter 7 in your Bibles. In verse 1, and by the way, we could probably divide chapter 7 really into two parts. And we do that by looking at chapter 7, verse 1. Look what it says. These are the things that will happen on the earth. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. The things that are happening upon this earth. The second part of chapter 7 might be, and we might say, those things that will happen in heaven. In chapter 7, verse 9, look what it says again. After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, the palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, to the Lamb. The things that will be happening on earth, and the things that will be happening in heaven. We're going to look just at that first part, this morning. We'll look at the second part next week. The first part in verses 1 to 8, our text this morning, we start by reading again these words, after these things. Now some of your translations may read, after this. And what is he saying? After what? Or after this? This is, in other words, this is the next thing that John is given a revelation of. This is the next thing that he saw after the six of the seven seal judgments were shown to him in chapter 6. The second part in 9 to 17 that we'll look at next week, it again says after these things or after this, And I believe that what he's speaking of here is the next vision or part of the vision that John is giving is after the sealing of these servants. And I believe these are Jews. I believe these are 144,000 Jews that are referred to as servants of God in this chapter. That John now sees an innumerable number of people who are going to be saved, I believe, during the tribulation period. And John is seeing the completion of this all the way to the end of the tribulation period. I believe this is spanning. This is a parenthetical insert. I believe that this sealing of these 144,000 Jews 
is happening probably sometime at the beginning of the tribulation period. These 144,000 servants of the Lord are going to be used during the tribulation period to be a witness, to evangelize, to take the gospel message out still to this world. After these things is the same Greek words that we read in chapter 4, verse 1, which started the whole thing of the rapture and the heavenly scene. It's after these things is meditata, or after this. It's actually used eight times throughout the book of Revelation. I saw four angels, John says, standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, when we read the book of Revelation, we have to try to discern some of the things that are being said and what they mean. And I believe this is a way in which it's saying that these judgments that are affecting the whole earth, they're not just localized judgments. They're not just something that's happening right there in Jerusalem or in Israel. But that these judgments that we read about in Revelation chapter 6 and all the others to follow are going to be a worldwide judgment, a worldwide event. He saw these angels standing on the four corners of the earth. They were holding the four winds of the earth or holding back, we might say, the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree, which speaks about the land, the sea, and the vegetation that's upon this earth. I believe that, as I've already shared, this is a pause. This is a time, really, where there's a pause that we see where these angels, we're told, are holding back the judgments that are still to come upon this earth. We see Jesus speaking of the four winds. In Matthew 24, 31, it says that he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Like, you know, like the four points on a compass. North and south and east and west. It encompasses the whole earth. It's from these words in 7-1 that I believe that here the next thing that John saw after the opening of the sixth seal was these four angels that were standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the winds of judgment that were still to come. A pause, a time of God's grace and mercy upon this earth. We read in chapter 6, verse 9, that when Jesus opened the fifth seal and he saw under the altar the souls who had been slain for the word of God, 
and for the testimony they held. This appears to be one group that John saw in his vision that God gave to him. He saw these tribulation martyrs in that first group. And then, in, as we already read in 7-9, he saw this other group, this great multitude, which I think is distinct because it says of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Some commentators and some people see both of these in Revelation 6-9 and 7-9 as being the same group. It seems to me that what John is seeing here in these two verses are two distinct groups. Two distinct groups of people who are going to be saved during the tribulation period. As I shared, chapter 7 starts as if God momentarily hits the pause button. Momentarily, there's a sigh of relief for this world. The time right now, we might say, that it's to take a breath in the moment. Just wrap your head around what we just read in Revelation chapter 6, the outpouring of those seals. And keep in mind that one-fourth of the world population by this time has already been killed or died. Not only that, but the church, whatever size that is, has been raptured, removed from this earth. It's a moment of relief. It's a moment that God shows his mercifulness, his graciousness towards this world. It's towards those who still dwell on the earth. John sees these four angelic beings that are standing at the four corners of the earth. The whole earth that's experiencing these judgments. We see these words again in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. Now when the thousand years has expired, this is after the seven year tribulation, this is after the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, we're told that Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea, the four corners of the earth. John also saw that these four angels that are holding back the winds of the earth. Now, wind in Scripture quite often is used as a symbol of evil, as a symbol of coming judgment. We read about that in in even Genesis chapter 41. The Pharaoh saw in his dream seven years of famine which were brought about by the east wind. 
It was also the east wind that brought the locusts upon Egypt in Exodus chapter 10, verse 13. He goes on to say that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And some people have even sought to bring and, and, and line these things up with the earth being Israel, the sea being the Gentile nations, and any tree being the authority that's in the world at the time. I don't see that. I see these things as literal. Because chapter 8, we're going to see, when we get to chapter 8, we're going to see that the next set of judgments that are going to come upon this earth in chapter 8, verse 1, is going to bring judgments that are going to affect the earth, the sea, and the vegetation of this earth. Here's John seeing these four angels holding back the winds of judgment that are still to come. A pause in the moment. And then we see this multitude of people that are being saved in this part of John's vision. We read in chapter 8, verse 7. It says that the, and this is during the trumpet judgments, the next set of judgments that we'll look at, that hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. But we read in Revelation 7, 1, that the wind should not blow on the earth. We see that the third that a third of the trees and all of the green grass are going to be burned up in the trumpet judgments. Yet Revelation 7.1 reads that the wind should not blow on any tree. The second trumpet judgment that we're going to read in verse 8, it says that the third of the sea will become blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea will die. And a third of the ships will be destroyed. Yet we read in Revelation 7.1 that the wind should not blow on the sea. I think we're talking about judgments and the future judgments that are to come. Verse 2, then I saw another angel ascending from the east. Or literally it reads, from the rising of the sun, John says, I saw this angel from the east rising up, having the seal of the living God. And he cries with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. That pause, that time for the sealing of the 144,000. John sees this holding back while that's being done of the judgments to come. This angel has the seal of the living God and it's not the seal itself, but it's the instrument by which they would impress upon that seal. This angel goes forth 
with the seal of the living God. And we don't even know what that seal looks like or really for sure what is written on the seal, but we might get some possible insight from Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. It's here that we see another mention in the book of Revelation of the 144,000 Jews that we're reading about here. By this time, they're standing with Jesus, the Lamb, on Mount Zion, which is where the Temple Mount is. It's where that third temple will be rebuilt. Here's Jesus and the 144,000 Jewish servants standing there on Mount Zion. We see and read in Revelation 14.1, Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with Him 144,000, having their, and this is what it says, having His Father's name written on their forehead. Having the Father's name written. What's the seal? Having the Father's name upon their forehead. This same angel, he comes with this seal in his hand and we're told that he's crying out. He's crying out with a loud voice to the other four angels that are on the four corners of the earth. Do not harm the earth, he says, the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. We can read a few more details about what these servants of God were like during the tribulation period to come. We read about it in Revelation 14 again. It says in verse 1, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing, I'm reading this again, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song, listen to what it says, except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These are Jews that got saved. These are Jews that came to realize Jesus is our Messiah. These became servants of God that He sealed for the work of evangelism, I believe, during the tribulation period. But look what it says of these 144,000. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, which I believe speaks that they kept themselves from spiritual idolatry, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In other words, they walk with unquestioning obedience and devotion to Jesus. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. 
In other words, these 144,000 are seen as the first fruits of those that are getting saved during the tribulation period. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. In other words, they walked and will walk blameless lives before a godless world. That's a description of the lives of these 144,000 servants that are going to be used of the Lord. It's interesting, this isn't the first time that we see see a seal or a mark put upon God's people for protection. We actually see it a number of times. We, We find it in Ezekiel, where Ezekiel was given this vision of the slaughter of Jerusalem's idolaters. And it says that now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had a writer's inkhorn on his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem. And he says, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. Put a mark upon those that who are appalled by the idolatry that they see in Jerusalem. Put a mark upon their foreheads. And to the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill and do not leave. let your eyes spare nor have any pity Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women, but do not come near anyone whom the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who are before the temple. Let it start with the elders of God. Let it start with this mark upon the elders of God. It's interesting that this mark that we read about there in Ezekiel is actually the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, alphabet, Taf, which was God's exemption, you want to say, upon those individuals that had kept themselves from idolatry, the exemption from judgment that was to come. That 144,000 that are there as servants of God, that have the seal of God upon their forehead, are going to be protected and exempt from the judgments to come. It's interesting that in the early form of that Hebrew alphabet, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, that in the early form of it, it was that word was in the form of a cross. It's like putting that Hebrew letter upon your forehead. A form of a cross. I thought that was interesting. God commanded Moses also to do the same by putting a mark on that doorpost, didn't he? He commanded the children of Israel to put blood upon the the, uh, lentil and the post of their homes so that the angel of death would pass over them. Again, it formed like a cross, like Christ on the cross. What's interesting about this mark 
is that Satan being the master imitator that he is, he's going to issue a mark during the tribulation period. He's going to put a mark and demand that you have a mark list you won't be able to buy or sell. That unless you have that mark upon your forehead, unless you pay allegiance to the Antichrist, to Satan really, you won't be able to buy or sell. John goes on in verse 4 and writes, And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Whether this seal upon the 144,000 is visible for people to see, we don't know. But what's important to know is that it's evident to God. It's evident to His angels that are bringing forth these judgments upon the earth. These are mine. These are the ones that have put their faith in me. These are the ones that have trusted. And did you know that Paul says this of you and I? That you and I, and as believers, that you're sealed also with the Holy Spirit. The day that you gave your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God that came and made residence in your body, became that seal, became that guarantee that you are a child of God. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 4.30. You see, when God puts a stamp upon us, when He seals you by His Holy Spirit, He's saying to you, you're mine. You're mine. And no one will touch you. This seal upon their foreheads will also be visible to the demonic forces that are wanting to wipe out every single one of them. Yet who's in control? God's in control. God keeps his people. God seals these servants. We when we get to Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, this is the fifth trumpet. The fifth trumpet judgment. And we read that the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened up the bottomless pit and the smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them it was given power. To them it was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. 
God's protection upon his people. We're not going to read all the 12 tribes. Kyle already went through and, and read that. But let me say this in regards to these 144,000. When I read my Bible, I read it in a literal way. I see this as a literal 144,000 Jews. I read it as 12,000 Jews from each of the tribes of Israel. I don't believe that this 144,000 is a picture of the church as some people interpret it. I don't believe that Israel has been replaced by the church. That's replacement theology, and I reject that. I don't believe that the 144,000 are Jehovah's Witnesses, as they claim. These are 144,000 Jews that have been saved, that have this, they're called the servants of God, that have that seal upon their head. What's interesting out of this list, though, is that we see that the 12 tribes that are listed in this portion of Scripture do not include the tribe of Dan. Some simply explain this away as just an issue of symmetry, as you list, and there's a number of lists of the 12 tribes that are, have different lists. But really, it's possible, and it seems to me that Dan may have been omitted from this list in Revelation chapter 7 because Dan was the one tribe that practiced idolatry and God gave promises that any person or any tribe who practiced idolatry would be set apart for adversity. When the tribe of, of Dan migrated north from its original location, they went to the northern part of Israel. And along the way, he uh, persuaded a renegade Levite in the tribe of Ephraim to join him. And along with his graven image, after, he, after overthrowing Laish and renaming the town Dan, they set up a carved image and a priesthood attended it. And after that, the town of Dan became a center of worship for the golden calves, which Jeroboam promoted as an alternative to the worship in Jerusalem and the divided kingdom. I've been to that spot. I've actually stood right there where those sacrifices were done. It's called Tel Dan. You can go there today. The actual stones and the foundation stones of where they did the, the sacrificing are there today. It's very possible that some believe that out of this tribe of Dan, it would be the Antichrist that would come forth out of this tribe. And we read in Deuteronomy 29 21, the Lord warned. That if they turned away from the law to idolatry, he would separate the tribe from all the tribes of Israel for adversity. And it's very possible that Dan is going to, and the tribe of Dan is going to go unprotected through the tribulation period. 
But another interesting note is, is that we read that in Ezekiel 48, we read about the 12 tribes of Israel that will be allotted their land during the millennial kingdom that is going to follow. The names of those tribes are also on the gates, and Dan is included in that list. And so I want to close. I know I've gone over, but I want to close in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Peter writes, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? We don't want to be one of those. We don't want to be a Christian saying, yeah, they've been saying Jesus is coming back. And where is he? Leave that to those who don't know Christ. For those of us that know the Lord, we should be waiting on the edge of our seat that the Lord is coming back. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens that were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. You can put a million years in that to the Lord. He doesn't live within time and space. But know this, church, we need to keep this in mind, that any delay that you might think that God is bringing, you look at your world now, we're in desperate days now, but anything that we see that we might call a delay, it's because we have a gracious, merciful God that is not willing that even some of your loved ones whom you're praying for now would perish and would go into the tribulation period or would go into eternity without Christ. We have a patient, loving, and merciful God that loves us and loves you and wants to use you in these last days, to be a mouthpiece for him, to speak forth this truth that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so let's have um, Kyle come up, closes in worship. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's worship the Lord this morning from our hearts. He's worthy to receive all of our worship. If you're in need of prayer, please come up after uh, there'll be somebody up here that will pray with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to be at the back. I'll be standing at the back. Uh, come up to me. If you don't know the Lord, today's the day. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Uh, Father, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for this time. Lord, in your word this morning, so powerful. Your word is powerful. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that the things that we learn even this morning, Lord, would stir our hearts with a passion, more of a passion for those who don't know you. Use us this week, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Go before us, lead us, guide us into those divine appointments. 
And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.